Welcome to Hey Girl. I'm your host, Bill Janice. Join me every week where I sit down with one of my amazing and talented friends who are experts in their field, and we have a little chat. Right. Welcome to this episode of Hey Girl. I am your host, Bill Janice, and I am really thrilled today to be joined by a really wonderful and fabulous talent. Um, you've probably followed him on social media. He is a neuroscientist, biometric brain coach, uh, he, a content creator, uh, podcaster, you name it, uh, specializing in uh, anxiety, depression, self-regulation, self-care, all the good things that we all need to know, especially now. Uh, please welcome Dr. Chris Lee. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. I think we did it, and we both didn't eat the microphone. Like, not do that masculine. I was, I was like flipping the coin there for a second. Right. Which way is it going to go? I don't know what sound's going to yeah. come out. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, sign me up. Like, what kind of hey girl do you want? Like, you want my hey girl, or you want that like hey girl? Girl, you you pick. It's up to you. Oh, I'll go choice. for it. I'll go for it. Yeah, I'm gonna send it. Yeah, so that, isn't that fun? I had a moment like that this morning. I was like, I was like trying to like say something really intelligent, and I was like, oh, this is a good time for a joke because I've been talking about suicide. So you got to like balance <laughs> you those things it out. Up. You yeah, all, you have to balance. You only talk about mental health so much, and what came out was prepubescent Chris with this squeaky voice <laughs> that was like, "Hey," uh, I was like, <laughs> "That's that's so awkward. That's the most awkward noise I could have made." In this it isn't setting. that the worst on... when you hear it, and then you and you have that moment where you're like, "Who, who the hell was that?" Yeah, <laughs> like I'm on stage talking to hundreds of people, and I go, "Hey," I'm like, "All right, let's excuse <laughs> that." Like, it's my first time. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh! Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Likewise, so. like we've been jamming for what ten minutes before fifteen. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, ten we or fifteen minutes. Such a good time. We... We kept saying that we were going to start recording, but then we just kept talking. (laughs) It's going to be such a good one, yeah. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm so excited. So listen, let's... Okay, let's just jump right in. Um, I would love it if you could just uh, take a few minutes and actually kind of share your personal story uh, with the audience. You have such a fascinating, uh, and I feel, inspirational story. Um, It kind of sets us up to the type of work that you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what I usually tell people when I begin to tell my story is like the moment that we're in right now is like the most beautiful mistake that I could have never expected in my life. So let's wind back the clock about six years now, which to me is just astonishing that it's been six years. Six years ago, I had a plan of action. Uh, Six years ago, I would have been 22. And I was really hoping like, you know, I got my life together. I have all my ducks in a row. And at the time, I was in the process of getting my doctorate, um, and I was going to finish up school, do the two kids, one point five dogs, you know, the wife, right. midlife crisis at forty two, you know, you know, divorce at forty three, like all the things. Right. Like I had, you were it ready for all, all that, yeah. <laughs> I was ready for it, and there was something that just stirs. I think in all of us, there's a voice, uh, and in in my world, we call it white ceiling syndrome. And okay. white ceiling syndrome is when you try to sleep at night and you're staring up at the ceiling and the ceiling's like talking back to you. And it's that conversation that's like, 
that truth that you're not ready for, but you need, right? Sure. And it was constantly asking me these questions, you know, are you going to be fulfilled? Is this going to be a path that, you know, expresses your gifts? And I'm like, yeah, like what's, what's not better than like, you know, serving people and like connecting with them and like running a practice, right? Like what, what, there's nothing wrong with that. So I think there's that path of like easiness that we can all take. Okay. And that's what I was currently on. Uh, And you were fully subscribed on board, ready to do it. The whole thing. I was there for it. Yeah. I yeah. was going to get through school and, you know, like everybody's like, you know, you find your partner in school, you both be doctor, all that stuff. And I was like, yeah. there for it. Um, but something started to change and shift when those conversations started to get louder at night and don't listen to the whispers. You get the screams kind of thing, you know? Sure. And a couple of months went by and then my first year of school passed. And after you get through that first year of school, um, it ends up turning into ends up turning into this like weeder class for six months, essentially. So they throw like neuropsychology, toxicology, pharma, like they throw all these things at you. And it's just like, there's so much ologies going on right now. Like, could we just for a second here, um, just pump the brakes. So in the midst of this weeder class, um, something really challenging started to surface up for me, which was my realization that, the connection that I was making to class and the connection that I was making to school wasn't going to fulfill me. Um, that voice had now translated into life. And this is when the world said, this should be your path. You have these gifts, you have these illuminations and we need them expressed. Um, so whether you want to call it God, whether you want to call it the universe, it's there, right? Mm -hmm. So I finish up with my midterms of that quarter. Um, and it was gross, right? Like I just finished up on a Friday and I'm on my way home. 22 at the time, like I said, I am broke. Like when I say I'm broke, like yeah. I'm broke. Like I'm saving up and I have like $4 and I'm like, oh, Girl, listen, rich. I understand. Trust me. When I was that age, I was a starving artist, homeless in New York City, trying to be a dancer. So I get so it. So you get it. So it had just passed over like a holiday and I knew, I remember thinking of this, I knew that I could ride my Goodwill 21 speed bike to the Walmart and like get a $2 bottle of wine right. and like clear and stark chocolate. And I was going to go home and watch my pirated <laughs> Netflix and cry on the floor. Cause like what that was like, that, what else are you doing at 22? What else are you doing at when, 22? When you right? only have $4. Yeah. <laughs> when I had, yeah. So like I'm living like a King tonight. That right? sounds, so like, I a, have all actually my sounds like a good like plan for the night. I, <laughs> based on what yeah, I still have. Yeah. My life is like still like, I think it's more together than it was back then, but shit, right. like we're still here ripping and tearing. I'm like, that still right. sounds pretty good. Like right. we might be drinking a little bit better wine, not Clarence dark chocolate. That's going to give you the runs, but we like, can you upgrade know, it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let me step into a different space in a different environment. So essentially what happened is I had my backpack full of goods and I'm on my way home and it's sunset in Atlanta. And I have maybe half a mile back to my apartment and I'm going and out of the corner of my eye, I watch a black SUV blow a stop sign. And I was going down a hill on a 21 speed bike at 22 years old. So I was like fairly fit. Um, and I was probably going 35 on my bike and I'm guessing they were probably going 35 and I hit them. Them hit me is the type of thing. Oh, wow. So it was kind of like this whole thing. Um, 
if anybody doesn't know bikes, you can have regular pedals that you just push down or you can like yeah. slide in or you can clip in. Um, I had clip in shoes. Oh so no. So you were connected this, to that bike, which saved me in some ways. So they hit me. I flew a ways into this ditch and then both of the wheels like collapsed essentially. And I just like rode the bike to the ground and I blacked out. Um, I woke up a couple hours later and a homeless man was like trying to help me up. Like thought I was just a dead body in the ditch, I think. Um, and I got up, found my bike that I was still partially attached to. And I walked, walked it, rode it home kind of thing. So disoriented, had a helmet on, uh, always wear your helmets, kids. Um, and yeah, I got home. My brother, who was also getting his doctorate at the time, um, he's like, what happened? Like, what happened to you? And I was like trying to explain, got hit by a car. And he like takes me in, starts like checking me. He's ahead of me in school. So he's doing oh, wow. procedures to see if we need to go to the hospital. We end up in the hospital about an hour later. And, you know, they say you have, you know, internal bruising, you have bone fractures, all like all these different things going on um all like in my pelvis which you can't plastic you can't you know do anything you can't really take care of it and i was so young that they're like well you're probably gonna have really gross scar tissue and all this other stuff i was like okay so they said stay in bed for you know nine months hopefully in nine months all these things like fuse back together and you'll be good enough to walk and you know through you know five six years of physical therapy you'll be able to like you know run pain-free and i was like Sweet. You're like, great, thank. That, that, that was the best yeah, these, way they could spin that. <laughs> the roaring 20s. Thanks, Doc. Oh, um, and yeah, so I was, you know, educated. So I knew the prognosis. I knew what, like, what to anticipate and things like that. What I couldn't have anticipated was two weeks later picking up the phone and having the rest of my world flipped upside down. So in that two-week period of time, if you've ever been stuck on bed rest, like, it's hell. Like you can't move, you can't do anything. You're in pain. Um, they like gave me pain meds, which made me like so fuzzy and so foggy and like all this stuff. I couldn't stand it. And I just slowly watched like a healthy fit 20 something year old deteriorate in like five days, zero movement. Right. Yeah. The next five days, it was the deterioration of like my mental health. And I was like, man, like I think I'm depressed. I'm like, no, I can't be depressed. I'm, I'm, I'm 22. Like, I'm, I can't be depressed. Like, maybe I'm a little mm-hmm. sad, but no. I like steadily had depression, and then like the last two days, I remember it. I was going back and forth between this like yo-yoing of like anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. all this stuff, all the while not being able to go to class, um, which we're in like 10 week quarters. So if mm-hmm. like anybody is unfamiliar, like uh, high competitive schools like that are like 10 week quarters. So you go all year round and it's 10 weeks of class followed up by an 11th week and then you get two to three weeks and then you go back. Mm-hmm. Um, so every week you miss, you miss 10% of a class. So you're screwed <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So they're like, we'll send you the presentations. I'm like, yeah, like that's okay. Um, so that's always happening and like, Every quarter that you miss, you're just pissing away $30,000 basically. Oh Um, my gosh. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, this stings. Um, And then you skip out on your cohort. So if you ever fail a class, like all of the people that you've been with, like all of your friends for the past year, 
gone. Yeah. <laughs> like checked out. Like <laughs> oh, no. okie dokie. So like my friends are like, hey, yeah, we'll see you around and stuff like that. Like everybody's like just saying, you know, it sucks. And then that day happened. So I'm chilling, like wallowing in my own self-pity, and the phone rings. And it's like an old family friend that I haven't talked to in a while. And I pick it up and I'm like, Steve? And he goes, Yeah, 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 yeah. Is this is this Chris? This is Chris Lee, right? Like, do you remember? Like, I know it's been a while, but like dude is just super frantic on the phone with me. And I'm like, what's going on, man? Um, and he's like, do you still live at like this apartment? I know it's been like a year since I've been there, but like, do you still live there? Like I'm, I'm on my way there. Make sure that your brother's home, make sure that you're there. And then dude hangs up on me. I'm like, oh, geez. what, what is going on here? So call my brother up, finally get a hold of him through a friend. And I'm like, Hey, do you remember Steve? And he goes, Steve. And I'm like, yeah, dude's like, on drugs or something super frantic, but he's coming to the house or the apartment. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm coming home. Don't worry about it. Big brother, like my older brother, right? Super mm-hmm. protective. And I was right. like a little frail thing on the bed. Right. So oh. he flies home. I hear his truck pull up and then I hear Steve's car pull up. And for whatever reason, I decided to get myself out of bed that day. I don't, I don't know why. Um, so get myself out of bed. And if you've ever like been sick like that or hurt like that, first time you stand up, like everything feels awful. Like everything, right. like everything moves and like you just feel so weak. So I'm standing there holding the wall step by step, getting to the door and it hurts. And it's like, I hear things like sliding and crumb, like that's not good. Like all this stuff, but I'm in the door frame, like in case he needed me or something, I don't even know. And <laughs> One minute passes and they don't come up. Two minutes pass, they don't come up. Three, four, five, and like 10 minutes go by and they're not upstairs. And eventually I hear them coming up the stairs. Hear my brother open the door and I look at him and I look at Steve and they're both sobbing. Like they're not like crying. Like my brother is like sobbing and he sees me standing there drops everything and just like i'll never forget it i will never ever forget it it's like burned into my memory he runs over to me and i still like it's it's one of those things like you it's only a way that an older sibling could probably do he knew that i was so broken but like came over and like wrapped his arms around me and i'm like yeah i'm taller than my brother but my brother is just ridiculously strong like okay he's he's gonna hate me for saying this in public but he's like five six but the dude benches like 350 and like okay. squats for like he's just a brick yeah. shit house right for anybody yeah. that doesn't know that's a lot of weight so he right. comes over and he just like holds me and he's holding me and i'm like dude what is going on like tell me and he looks at me and he said he's gone and i knew that we had lost my dad oh, i'm so um, sorry Thank you. So I didn't, we didn't know how, we didn't know what, we just knew that he had passed and they had called my dad's house, uh, connected to his wife and said, you know, Brian's passed away type of thing. And then they connected it downstream. Later that day, we found out that he had committed suicide. Uh, oh my. Out of nowhere. And, you know, it's, it's one thing that, you grieve loss like that. Mm-hmm. It's another book entirely that suicide has such a rippling effect 
through families and communities because there's so much left unsaid, questioned, sure. unknown, uncertain. There's just so much of that. And my brother and I, we were going to his house in a week to go have barbecue to celebrate midterms. Yeah. Um, so for that to kind of come up the way it did, we were all like, whoa, what's up? Like, what's going on here? Um, it's just the most bizarre thing ever. And, you know, we, we've, we've come to rest with it in some pieces and some parts. So you grieve um, sure. the best that you know how at 22, which for me, like, you know, my brother and I would sit in our living room after we did the funerals and all this stuff. And you sort through all your dad's all old the, clothes yeah. and mm-hmm. all the stuff that goes along with that. Um, and, you know, he, he was in this uh, process of a separation and all these other like details surface up and um, it just becomes such a challenge. So on top of my physical body, this, and then, you know, all of this, the distress of being, you know, the, the kids that were left over, it's just my brother and I. Sure. Um, yeah. So we're sorting through that. My brother's going through, trying to go through the finals. Um, I ended up taking like a leave of absence for the rest of that quarter because like, can only take so much, right? Yeah, there was no way you could continue doing that with everything no. else that was going on. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that. yeah. So you take the intentional fail and yeah, you just sort things out. So we try to get back to normal. And I still remember my brother and I would do this on Thursday and Fridays. On Thursday nights, we would get pizza and beer. And on Fridays, we would get wine and like Chinese at this like Thai shop. Um, uh-huh. It'd be Thai, right? Right, right. <laughs> we, okay. we would watch we would watch friends on thursdays uh yeah. and you know it'd just be like oh friends makes a lot of sense now and then on fridays we'd be classy and we'd drink wine because we were watching game of thrones perfect and there'd be times <laughs> where like yeah what else are you gonna do right yeah yeah there would just be times i would look at him and he would look at me and we would just we would just sob like yeah, we would just cry and cry and cry um, and my brother's, you know, he's my best friend. He's, you know, he's, he's my man. Um, yeah. he's my dude. So for us to go through that was, it was really beautiful. Um, you know, it's, it sounds weird to say this sometimes, but it, it is the best family gift that I think my dad knowing the state that he was in could have given his sons, mm-hmm. um, which for some folks like might be like, that's, that's weird, man. Like, but truly like, Nothing, I don't think anything in this planet can come between my brother and I and the way that it's shaped us both into men um, and the way that it's shaped us into parenting, which we'll start to get into. So later down, three months pass and I'm still in school. I'm back into it. You know, I'm, I'm walking, I'm doing the things, I'm doing the stuff. And I get a call from a woman that I had been dating that I just didn't have the capacity to date. She calls me up. And says, hey, I got to come to the apartment. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, come on through. We, we mm-hmm. separated cordially. It was like still good friends. Sure, um, sure. And she shows up and she goes, hey, can we go in the bedroom and talk? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Go in the bedroom, sit down, talk. And I'm, you know, thinking it's the, you know, oh, like I miss you, this type of thing. And I'm like, you know, kind of prepared for whatever's to be expected. Because who knows, right? And right, right. <laughs> she, says, she says, sit down. And I go, okay. And she looks at me, she holds my hand and she says, we're pregnant. Are we? Boy, Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And I just remember- What was your initial, yeah, your initial reaction to that? I, 
So like, this is something that I've worked through a lot. I had, I had um, so much shame around this because it's supposed to be this exceptional moment. Like we have created fucking life, right? Like we should be popping champagne, but like I was such a train wreck at the time that like, I just like went catatonic to be honest with you. Like I just remember laying on the floor. Yeah. I cried for probably 12 hours. Um, like my mom like flew down from Michigan um, once like, you know, my brother came in cause she ended up leaving um, cause she had things to go take care of and initiate and like parenting stuff to go figure out. Cause she's a new like mom, like pregnant. Right. So like all that yeah. stuff and like, yeah, you yeah. are dating. So there's like so many things like she was there's so many layers. I was yeah, like, so many layers there. Yeah. <laughs> On top of what you already have just gone through. Yeah. So all these things start stacking up one on top of another. And yeah, my brother comes in. He's like, what's up? And I go like, she's pregnant. Um, he goes, shit. Oh. Like he, he goes, he goes like wine or beer. <laughs> um, and <he's> like, <laughs> That's a good was, brother right there. <laughs> it was exactly, it was exactly what I needed in that moment. And it did make sure. me smile. And like, you know, he literally, I, I remember such a good guy. Like my brother's such a good man, grabs him by the feet, pulls me out into the living room. And he says, you're coming with me or you can stay here. But like, we're doing our thing. It's Thursday night. I'm like, all right, dude. Uh, cause I'd been in my room for a minute at that point. So time passes and eventually, uh, October comes around and boom, uh, here's baby girl. And suddenly I'm a dad. And shortly after that, um, boom, suddenly, uh, single dad. Um, and yeah, single solo dad trying to deal, not deal, but in some ways deal with a one-year-old like sure i didn't didn't get a book on that i'm not close to home i still have to finish school right so like got my little girl strapped to my chest going to like lab going to like lecture going to like residency and all this other stuff just trying to survive yeah um and then one day i remember i just i just couldn't sleep i just couldn't sleep and she had been, you know, with, with mom and I went for a drive and I just remember like it was February at that time. And it was like, you know, I'm up in North, North Georgia. So it was cold. And I just remember enjoying the feeling of like my warm tears on like my cold face when I drove down I-75 with the windows down. Uh-huh. Like it was it's so weird. No, and I get it though. I remember. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And maybe it's, maybe it's the Michigan, Michigan girls in us. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Whatever it is. Hey. Uh, so I remember that. Sorry, I didn't mean to I make a joke. I had to laugh. Make it. You see, this bit. is the thing. Like I got that squeaky voice. We're talking about suicide on stage. So, um, oh, God. it was, it was just the most bizarre thing. And I started to weep and then I started to sob and then I started to like yell. And yeah, that's when things went black. Okay. And I don't, to this day, I still don't know what happened. So I remember like, like full screaming. I, yep. So Got like, it. if you like make enough like intrinsic pressure, uh, you squeeze all those arteries and you black out apparently. Um, so I woke up and I thought for sure, like 
is this heaven? Is this the uh, beyond? Like I was going 80 miles an hour cruise control up I-75 wow. at three in the morning. Which is and full force, window down, cruise control. All my out. windows down. And I, oh my gosh. yeah, just screaming. And I, I remember feeling something cold on my cheek when I started to come to. And I like start to open my eyes and like everything's so blurry. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, smells like bleach in heaven, like, or hell, wherever the <laughs> fuck I am. Right. I'm like, at least but it's, I like at, that least your mind it's at least went to heaven. At first. least it's clean. <laughs> at least it's clean. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, we fucking, we have arrived. She's disinfected like, did, over here. <laughs> that wasn't bad. I, I was a bad person. Right. So, uh, I feel this like cold tile on my face and I open my eyes and I'm like, that is a toilet. Um, and I'm like starting to like get my bearings. I'm like, sure. Where am I? And there's a woman in the room and she goes, Oh, you're back. In like the sweetest voice, like the sweetest voice. And I'm like, Hey, like where, where am I? Am I, and I like, am I dead? She goes, Oh no, sweetie. You're, you're in a waffle house in, in Kentucky. I'm like, okay. (laughs) What do you mean? I'm in a waffle house in Kentucky. Like she goes, yeah, baby. Like you're in the I 75 waffle house off of, and I'm like, wow. How'd I get here? (laughs) Yeah. And she goes, you drove up, parked, left your car and drive though. And you just stayed there with your brights on looking through the windshield for like 25 minutes. So I sent Gary out to go see what was going on with you. And he turns your car off and (laughs) brought you inside. Cause like, we didn't know what was going on with you and you were just really compliant and you came in, you had like, I'd thrown up on myself and we took you into the bathroom and we've been here for about the last half hour. And I'm like, what? Right. So like, I'm like trying to, I'm trying to piece this together. And I'm like, the first thing I asked her, which I'm sure someone out there is also like, why didn't they call the cops? Like that was like, I was, that's what the first thing I was like, why, why am I not in jail? Like he went out there. You didn't smell like alcohol. Your pupils weren't blown out. You just looked like you'd been crying and had had an accident or something like that. And she said that when he brought me inside, there was something about me that didn't say something was broken. I just needed help. Okay. Like something was like just wrong. Yeah. And she said, I don't know what it was, but like, I just knew that I needed to take care of you. And I said, okay, like I, I, I had no words. Right. So like I'm crying at this point because like, I should be in like a drunk tank or something like that, which I was all sober, by the way. Like I should have been somewhere where they throw crazy people like that, right? But these people showed me just this radical kindness. Like, I, and I still, just, to this I day- I love that. Unconditional generosity. Unconditional to kindness. a stranger, to an absolute wow. stranger. So she sits me up and she's got like a cloth and she's like wiping my face. And Aww. she's like- don't worry about it, sweetie. Like, so I sent Gary to the Walmart across the street. He's going to go get you a pair of shorts and he's going to get you a shirt. We're going to get you cleaned up and you can stay here as long as you need. 
Um, breakfast, breakfast is on us. Coffee's on us. Whatever you need, sweetie. We got you a booth over there. You're good to go. Just stay as long as you need. Didn't ask any questions. Didn't ask what my name was. I like, didn't have like a wallet on me like that. Nothing, nothing. Just, just unconditional, unconditional kindness kindness for no, no reason to an absolute stranger to an absolute somebody that, I mean, I was a dumpster fire at that period of point, but I, so I sit there and that kindness, it, it broke me. It broke mm-hmm. into me and I'm sitting there and I'm like starting to feel different. I'm okay. starting to feel like, I, I don't even know the way to describe it. Inspired almost to change, okay. to be, to be something else, to like step out of this depression, to like shed this old skin, to shed these stories, to, you know, I don't have to be this like, you know, broken single dad that's going to do this just to survive, to do all this stuff. And I remember writing something down on a napkin, I still have the napkin. And it was a declaration that said, I'll be better tomorrow than I am today. I love that. And I just stuck with it for all this time. I stuck with it. So that declaration, that napkin kept me going. It got me to finish up my doctorate. It pushed me through all my neuroscience training. It pushed me into functional neurology. It pushed me into speaking to consulting, um, to running this consulting agency, to being, you know, an executive coach around the planet to all these different areas that I never thought I would have been able to do to step into parenthood with my daughter in a way that I only, you know, read about in books and to live an empowered life that is only mine. It's Chris's. So when yeah. people look at me, when I look at me, it's Chris, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not dad. It's not doctor. They see me and that's it without the labels. I um, love it. And I'm still peeling, peeling back the layers on that yeah. obviously, but I, I live unapologetically um, and I made it through. So my daughter's yes, name is girl. Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. She's a, she's a bad bitch um she is though so she's she's gonna be coming up on uh five here in a little bit and it's it's been the most beautiful journey i have a well if we had time the story of how that name came to be um uh, it's it's just bizarre so like i'm a harry potter fanatic right and like who doesn't love the story of the phoenix and stuff like that like all that stuff like I'm going to name my daughter like Fox, right? Like, which is the name of the Phoenix. <laughs> right, and right. and her, like, that'd be badass. <laughs> so one of the nights that her mom was pregnant, um, I couldn't sleep. Like, I just like, I was so depressed and so anxious that I, I couldn't sleep. So I'd get her mom to sleep and then I'd make sure that her mom had meals for like the breakfast, lunch, dinner. I would meal prep at night and then I would go drive at, cause just, I just, I would drive or I would walk. But one sure. of these nights um, I ended up falling asleep next to her mom and had the just most vivid dream on the face that like I I am not a vivid dreamer but this one was like like I felt the things like it was and like you remember you still dream. remember it clear clearly today clear as day so I love it I'm walking around the corner of this mountain on this trail and around the corner I can like see like a small cave and then to like the outside of the cave there's two stumps that are turned right side up small fire and then there's somebody that is facing off into the distance watching a sunset. And when I turn around the corner, she turns around to me and it's a woman that was like of my age, strawberry blonde hair, beautiful. 
and she jumps up in this like angelic, playful manner. And she says, Hey, I've been waiting for you. Come sit down. And she like grabs my hand like a kid and like <laughs> sits me down. And then we start to like discuss all of these different things. Yeah. And like, it's just like the hours are like flying by and we laugh and we cry and we play and all these other different things. And there was like such this like chemistry there. Like I've known you for eons, right? Yeah. For, for a lifetime. And then the sun finally drops below sunset and she stands up and she goes, it's time for you to go. And I was like, I, I don't want to leave. And she said, it's okay. It's really okay. I have to go too. And she stands up and she was in a white gown and she runs over to me and she like hugs me around the neck. I'm going to cry. Uh, she hugs me around the neck and she looks at me and she says, I'm Phoenix. I'll see you soon. I snap oh out of, I snap out of this dream and I'm like, uh-huh. holy shit. Uh, okay. So like I have brown hair, brown eyes, right? Her mom, brown hair, brown eyes. My daughter, strawberry blonde hair and gray eyes. Okay. And did Which the woman in this dream have that? The have- woman. Yeah. Because that's like, I remember oh these details because I'm like, it's such a genetic rarity to get yeah. gray eyes. Right. And I'm like, who has strawberry blonde hair and these things? And yeah. now when my daughter hugs me, she only hugs me around the neck. Like she doesn't <gasps> want like, she doesn't want her arms hugged in. Like I, that's why I'm like I get like so emotional. Oh my uh, god! It's like girl. <laughs> yeah. So my daughter's name is Phoenix. Uh, she named herself is what I tell people. Um, and yeah. So nowadays I I teach stress management uh, and neuroscience. <laughs> Great segue. So, to, to gentle. Yeah. Just put this here. Put that over there. Um, I'm like yeah. I'm still on the other it's, side of the river. <laughs> emotional yeah. about the story. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I, uh, I remember the first time that I actually shared that story publicly because it was only a story that me and her mom knew and my parents, um, my mom, I remember sharing that publicly. <laughs> I was sobbing like so hard on this podcast. And then I was yeah. like, yeah, so like science, right? Like, right. cause like, how do you, where do you go from there? <laughs> I just abandoned you on this emotional Island. Um, which is so great. Like the, <laughs> Like her and I are just like this like walking Hallmark movie of like, this is my daughter Phoenix. I'm her single lost father who just finished his doctor degree and yeah. we just navigate through this planet. Like it's just, yeah, it's just crazy, but we really do have a really beautiful life together. I'm like, there's not a day that goes by. I'm not so, so grateful for it. Oh, I love that. What a great story. Or that, that, that portion. Of it. Yes. Um. Yes. It, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, I didn't, I hadn't heard, uh, your, the story about Phoenix, but I had heard, uh, the previous, um, part of your, part of your journey. So, so yeah. that it was after all of that, you decide that you decided to, uh, study neuroscience. Yeah. So inside of, um, the degree that I was getting, um, which my doctorate's in chiropractic, um, an institute runs through that system and through that model called uh, the Carrick Institute. They're the only uh, board-certified functional neurology uh, clinic that can certify and license practitioners. So I started to go through uh, Carrick Institute for training for functional neurology because I was like, brain, no bueno, like not so good. Like things are not yeah. like kosher over here. 
And I really started to love the aspect of it when it tied into mental health. So I started to head into functional neurology, and then I was really blessed to be able to connect with facilitators um, at these really extraordinary schools um, who would let me come in and gain education from these programs, which to be fair, like I was not a great student. I was like really stubborn. So like I just kept going, but I'm not a great student. Um, But I started to share my story publicly and Um, you know, these, these other schools would like reach out and they were like, Hey, if you ever want to like get more interest in neuroscience, cause that's how I was saying, like the biggest thing that's changing my life right now is neuroscience. So I got connected with Duke medical school. I got connected with Harvard neuroscience clinic. I got connected with Stanford psychology department. Um, and I've been able to go through, and she's not a great student, but she's got all these great credits. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But I got all these things, right? Yeah. So I got, I was really blessed to go through to get a medical neuroscience training um, and to work with neuropsychologists at Harvard. And um, my goal is in the future to present the data that I'm gathering from the most common uh, mental health ailments, depression, anxiety, and burnout, um, Mm -hmm. like burnout dissociation, and collect the data that I'm doing with my clients, um, should they so wish to share those things, and uh, present it, hopefully, for a PhD in the future. Um, Yeah. Because it is just really, it's it's data that I think we could all understand better for like just mm-hmm. a better balance in life. Okay, so let me let me ask you a couple of questions here, because I yeah. I personally um, I suffer with depression and anxiety, um, and it's something that as I've gotten a little older um, has become has presented newer challenges every day, new, new, exciting challenges <laughs> that it come, kind of comes what up. What an oppor- opportunity for growth is. is yeah. Like, oh. like I haven't, I grown enough by now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. Jeez. And I have, uh, my, my mother also was diagnosed as bipolar and she, um, suffered a lot with not just that with a lot of other, um, ailments and whatnot. And she, uh, she's, she's since passed, but, I remember, you know, even when I was in like my teen years uh, before I had kind of, uh, this is before my depression, you know, I was a teenager and whatnot, but, you know, living with a parent that was struggling with that. And I remember, I just always remember like she was always being prescribed all these pills and all this medication and all this stuff that I remember even as a younger uh, teenager without having any knowledge, you know, of of, um, medicine or science uh, in regards to mental health. I just always remember thinking, that's too much. Why are there so many pills? And it just seems like it's making her like a zombie. Yeah. It's like taking all the good with the bad and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, cut to a number of years later, I still really do feel that as a society, we are overprescribed um, medication. Um, yes, I obviously, Agreed. you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but yes, obviously I know there's benefits to it, but I do think that there are, there are some doctors that are just too quick to, uh, prescribe something to treat some kind of symptom as opposed to yeah. doing the actual, um, shadow work and self-regulation and all the things that you specialize in. Um, you know, even, even if you just try that, try that first, give it a shot before you start pumping yourself right. full of these uh, medications that, you know, are not really doing much for you, at least in my experience. Not, I saw like, it. The efficacy Mem- is so bad. Yeah. And I saw and it like, at I, least with, oh, sorry, go ahead. It's a, it's a two-sided coin to this. Like, um, you know, I, I am not an MD uh, with those types of things, but I have a lot of friends that are MDs and psychiatrists and things like that. 
And if you don't specialize in the brain, if you don't specialize in mental health, like a regular family practitioner doesn't get training in that. Like right. it, it would be like going to your mechanic and saying like, yo, my hot water isn't really working. And they're going to go, <laughs> oh, okay. did you try like turning the knob on the hot water? Like they have no idea what that system is. So like yeah. turn the knob on your hot water is like, that's the system that they know. The other challenge with this is, and it's a humongous problem in the States, is um, insurance runs hospitals and it runs doctors through insurance agencies. So like the average amount of time that a doctor has to get in, diagnosed, and go to the next room is like 13 and a half minutes. Yeah. That's and it's not something a lot of time. that even it's no time, right? Yeah. I it's it's not enough time to read through a history, it's not enough time to take subjective, it's not enough time to do a test, it's not mm-hmm. enough time to do any of these things, to do a blood panel and all of these different things like I went to the ER uh, and they did a blood panel and I was outside of my own like health share. My health insurance is independent. So they mm-hmm. just straight billed me and then my insurance takes care of it. Takes care of it. They did a blood panel. I had a saline drip, two bags of it for a liter and uh, anti-nausea medication. And it came out to a total of like $13,000. Oh, I, yeah, of course. I believe it. It's crazy. What? Like, yeah. So anyways, please, please continue with what you were sharing though. Cause it is really important. No. Yeah. I just, I just remember, um, thinking that, um, you know, as I said that the medication, at least in my, my personal experience, watching it, watching a, a parent go through this, it, it just took so much life out of her. Um, and I don't know if everybody experiences that I'm just going off of what I'm what you know the, the story uh, of what i experienced and so then you know yeah. cut to cut to me as an adult and i start um to experience anxiety about probably about six years ago for the first time like i've always been i've always been a high energy type girl but i never i had never up until that moment um at least felt like i had experienced really understood what anxiety was i would hear i would hear yeah. other people talk about it and i would hear people describe like an anxiety attack or a panic attack or something close to it and i i was always um trying to be empathetic but deep down i really did not know what that felt like um until until I did, <laughs> um, yeah. and and then I just remember, um, you know, I had a lot of I had a lot of stuff going on that that probably triggered it or or um, activated it maybe, but um, yeah. but what I do remember is that then when I sought treatment initially, um, and I'm I because of the experiences that I just described with my mom, I remember wanting to go. Um, I don't know if this is the proper way to say it, but I almost wanted to go more of a holistic route or, or, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, non-medication route. Uh, you yeah. know, I didn't, I didn't have any neuroses or, or hangups about going to therapy or anything like that. I just, right. I had neuroses about taking medication because of how right. I saw it had done. And also because I really did feel that there was, um, a lack of care in the, in, from yeah. the doctor to patient. And I remember one time going to a therapist and um it well i was seeing a, i was seeing a psych uh, a counselor uh they they weren't an md they couldn't prescribe medication i was but i was seeing a, a a counselor and then they uh recommended me to go just to get a prescription to a psychiatrist that could and i remember it was literally booked out as like a 15 minute session that's all they wanted to see me for and he was ready to just start writing out yeah. scripts and i was so disheartened by it and i remember going in i was very reluctant because of everything i just described 
And it took a lot. It took, I almost want to say it took a lot within me to actually even get to the point that I went to that appointment because I was so reluctant and against it. But I just remember thinking that I was in such a dark place and the things I was trying just didn't seem to be working. Meditation wasn't working. I was trying to, I was trying to do all the law of attraction and think positively and affirmations. Oh. And I was trying to do all the things and they weren't, it all wasn't aligning, right? And so yeah. then I really just felt helpless. And I was like, no, I, I guess I have to take medication. Um, and I yeah. went and I, and I tried to descri- explain my position to this doctor who I'd never met before. And I tried to, you know, hoping, hoping that letting him know how reluctant I was and the reasons why I was reluctant, that he would have a little bit of empathy or maybe at least maybe even make me feel more comfortable about it. But uh, no, yeah. he just he I felt so dismissed. I f- and he this particular doctor, I remember, barely looked up from his pad. Um, barely looked me in the eye once during the entire session. Didn't really want to hear from me. Like I could tell, I mean, you know, we can read people's energy and we can feel people's energy. And I could, I could tell he was not, he was not interested in engaging in any sort of lengthy conversation about anything. Um, And he, uh, he, at one point when I was just trying to explain to him my feelings um, about doing this and about going on to medication, he actually, um, cut me off and was like, hold on. He's like, let, before we get into that, I just have a bunch of questions to ask you. And he was literally just like, he had his clipboard there and he just asked me a series of very straightforward questions that I'm sure he asked. They have to ask everybody, which is fine. But then there was no, nothing after that. It was like, Oh, have you ever been, you know, physically abused? Have you ever been sexually abused? Have you ever uh, suffered from this? Have you ever had any surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I answered all the questions. And then, you know, and at the time I was also suffering really bad from insomnia. Um, so I was like insomnia, anxiety, depression, can't sleep. I'm exhausted. And that's the thing too. People don't realize when you say you have insomnia, as I'm sure you know, people sometimes just assume, well, you must not be tired then. I'm like, no, no, I'm exhausted. exhausted. I can barely function, but I cannot sleep. And that's the problem. And now I hate you because you've said that. No, yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. then you're Go. also irritable. You're irritable yeah. now too. <laughs> you're so mad. Yeah. It's just crazy. And like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel you so much. Yeah. And so like, to help bridge where you're, where you're sharing, thank you for, for expressing that as well. Because um, I know that you and I are not alone on this island. Like I yeah. know so many people that get that. And it's, again, 15 minutes in, 15 minutes out. Yeah. Um, and let me my tell you real quick, just to was put a cap way. on that. Um, yeah. Sorry, real quick, just to tell you. Just, so then what ended up happening was he ended up prescribing something for anxiety, something for sleep, and something for depression. And, um, and he just kept telling me, he's like, Oh, and you know, if, if these, these might make you feel more depressed, but if they do just call me, it'll be no big deal. I'll give you something else or I'll up the dosage or I'll whatever. And I'm like, no, that's exactly what I don't want. I don't want to get on this, this path of just more medication, more medication, more medication, or a different medication. If this one's not working, cause I was, I still in my heart or in my intuition did not believe that that was maybe the right, um, uh, treatment plan for me. Um, right. and I was, but I was just trying to, to, to explore whatever, uh, uh, whatever was out there because what I was doing at the time wasn't working. And, um, yeah. and he ended up prescribing it all. And I got to tell you, I took the, I tried the insomnia pills. Didn't work. Actually mm-hmm. ended up, didn't even work yeah. for me. Um, yeah. and I took the, the depress antidepressants for a very short time. Like I think only like two weeks yeah. before I just took myself yeah. off of them because I was feeling, I wasn't feeling good. And I just was convinced that that was, that was just not for me. But then I felt this awful, 
overly consuming feeling of a polarity and just being lost and just like I I know it's it couldn't possibly be true that I'm the only one feeling this, but I don't know where to turn and I don't know exactly. I'm, I feel like I've tried to express myself and articulate my feelings to doctor different different industry professionals and the response yeah. has either been dismissive and here just take a pill or um or it's been i'm not sure go ask someone else type vibe you know what i mean <laughs> oh so much like and this is why like shows like what you have and like preventative maintenance and preventative medicine is so important one of the biggest challenges i have um and I, I want to say this with the caveat of medicine has saved my life multiple times and it has saved sure. lots of lives. Um, we're also not medical providers. Please seek out medical attention with your primary. Exactly. Patients. Yeah. Thank you for uh, the disclaimer. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I got you. Um, we don't so want to get sued over go, here, girl. No. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Yeah. Hey. Uh, so hey, when girl. they go do like pharmacy studies, they take one pill and they compare it against a placebo and they never like cross studies on multiple medications are exceptionally rare where they take okay. that insomnia medication and mix it with an antidepressant because like things like Prozac, like Prozac was originally for like hair growth, right? And okay. then it just happened to be this dope antidepressant. Now we have more biochemistry that we can start to understand these compounds more, but like we all have different genetic uh, like redox potentials, right? So okay. we have different methylation rates. We have different ways that we metabolize things. Um, so we standardize medication to hit the averages, but we're a bunch of outliers that make an average is what I want people to remember. So like, if you like look at like, you know, if we take a hundred people, we would say that like, you know, there's outliers that essentially are in these different categories. But when it comes to like human genetics and physiology, everybody has what they're really, really good at. And then what they compensate in at a genetic level as well. So we try to make these medications. It's like, grr doesn't really know how to like interpret that really well that's why like side effects may include all these different yeah, things because all the like, stuff that you don't want yeah <laughs> exactly and that's when do you that was one off? of the where's things the that good, where's the what do you give up what do you sacrifice to get right this benefit or that downfall you know that's exactly it and this is why this is why i love the science that i'm able to do because it it makes you or it supports you in becoming the scientist of your own life, helps provide okay. data and feedback that allows you to look and say, okay, I am a special, unique little snowflake. Hey, and in that uniqueness, <laughs> I am... <laughs> the great, if, if, if anybody's just listening to the audio and hasn't watched the video, you're going to have to check out the choreography he's giving me right now. <laughs> We're killing it. Listen, yeah. It was I, great. Like, I, it was <laughs> great. <laughs> very straight, but like, I'm here for it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Inside of this, like, you know, just beautiful collaboration of technology and science that we have now, we know that not one size fits all for mm -hmm. anyone, right? Sure. We try to standardize all these different things and it doesn't work. So this is why we have amazing tech companies coming out with, you know, insight tracker and blood glucose monitors and um, heart rate variability training and biofeedback and neurofeedback so that you can better understand you, yes. right? Um, and that's my goal with the work that I essentially do. So like, like you, you presented the question of the year is like, okay, what do I do? Because I think everybody has that intuitive hit. Like nobody like wakes up and goes, I need antidepressant. Like it is always like this inner conflict of like, all right, like I just, I need this now. Like mm -hmm. 
I need to go to work and like, I hate myself so much that I can't do it. Or I'm so lethargic or I'm so this, or I'm so that yes. like, there's gotta be a better way. And like, maybe you've tried the personal development, maybe you tried meditation, maybe you've tried all these different things. And those are all like uniquely standardized as well. Um, which is like, you know, a lot of those things work for individuals. And I'm like, I'm all about that too. Like try and error and do those types of things. Like that's a huge part of life as well. And on the back end of that, what if we could provide customized feedback for you to understand your nervous system's interpretations of its triggers, mentally, physically, emotionally, and socially? What if I could provide you the understanding to know what that was at a snowflake level? So the way that I describe this is Timmy and Susie are in a room and a clown walks in. Timmy is terrified absolutely terrified. And we do a blood panel on Timmy in that moment, take a snapshot. So we go like, oh my gosh, Timmy's cortisol levels are like really, really high. Epinephrine through the roof. Blood pressure is exceptional. Like he's freaking out. Body's in fight, flight, freeze. He thinks this clown's going to die. Timmy had a clown scare the shit out of him when he was three years old. Childhood trauma, right? Right. Susie feels warm feelings of elation. Her hands start to get warm. She smiles and we do a blood panel and we start to notice that, oh, she's got GABA. She's got all these down regulators. Her parasympathetic nervous system is turning on. Same environment. Why is one internally dying as adults? And why is Susie chilling, like connected to this person? Susie has a dad that's a clown. So her environment trained her that that's safe. Timmy did not have that. Now multiply that through every emotional response that you've ever had and you create a personality, right? Mm-hmm. You create a response to the environment. And that's how you and I are the crazy, beautiful humans that we are, hey, right? <laughs> that we've stepped into this power. We've been trained by our environment and solidified that through behavior and the way that we feel. But this is also the challenge of understanding, well, how do I get the me, the real mm-hmm. me is what I hear yeah. most often. How do I get the real me out of this protective mechanism. And it's like the same way that we buried it in cement, like shovel by shovel, brick by brick. That's how we pull it out. Mm-hmm. So the science that I'm referring to is, uh, you know, using HRV rest recovery metrics to better understand when your nervous system is triggered, when it's responsive and when it's reactive, and then helping you use tools that will actually work with your physiology based on what you respond to. So like okay. I tell people like my daily routine every single day, like people always ask like, what's your daily routine? Like, what do you eat? What do you drink? What do you do? All these different things. I'll give it to you all day. And for a large part, it's mostly backed by research. So they work pretty dang good. Okay. At the same time, if you have the ability to like understand your metrics and your numbers, you don't have to guess to see if this is actually working. You can see the numbers and numbers don't lie. Two is more than one. One is less than two. I can start to use that interpretation to say, I feel like a trash fire when I do cardiovascular exercise. Yes, you might subjectively feel like that, but your nervous system loves when you do that. So if you have the capacity to change your relationship with that behavior, not only is it going to boost longevity for you, but it also has this multitude of different effects. In 21 days, you're going to start to notice that you're significantly happier, right? Because your cardiovascular fitness is much higher. So we start to work on zone two training. So there's all these different components that we get to play inside of once we can, and I say this as humbly as I possibly can, once we can take the emotion out of it and really look Mm -hmm. logically, it allows us back into the emotion. 
if that Ooh, makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, no, it does. Okay, so let's let's kind of break this down uh, little by little, if if you don't mind, just to, so we can all yeah. understand. Because um, I'm still trying to understand it all as well. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's a nice, okay. gentle process that we're going through. So let's let's talk about feelings and emotions. It's going to be great. So you talk a lot about self-regulation. Can you just can you describe what that means to you uh, from for myself and the audience? Yeah. So self-regulation is bringing your physical, mental, emotional, and social self into a state of aligned action is what I would say. For my science aficionados, we all kind of remember um, like homeostatic or homeostasis. It's balanced, right? It's healthy. It's where the cell is regenerative and it's producing, you know, uh, good peptides and good turnover and things like that. We have a hundred trillion cells in our body that are operated based on perceptions, right? Same thing with Timmy and Susie. They have different perceptions. So self-regulation is understanding how to get to that optimal state of action mm-hmm. based on what your nervous system is interpreting. So we work on physical first, let's say. Sleep, okay. diet, exercise. Let's get your sleep in order. How do we start to work your circadian biology into that? Let's get your diet in order. What is and is not working, right? Because there are some standardized things and that And it's we can different say. for everybody, I'm sure, right? You have to... Different for everybody. individual but, treatment plan, right? Yes, yeah, so there are some universal truths out there, like yo, that pack of Oreos and like seven beers. <laughs> you mean that's not good? No, I'm, <laughs> mm, right. All things in moderation, right? So, but like, I love that you put beer with Oreos. <laughs> it works. I, it works. Trust me. From my friend, my friend told me. You're like I've done um, it. <laughs> yeah, so there are some of those like universal truths, and that's where a facilitator or someone like myself uh, is really powerful in your corner because you can say and you can ask them questions to say like, okay, what are some of those universal truths, right? Okay. And this is why having somebody give you like a consultation like that to go like, okay, tell me what you got going on right now, and I can like point out like uh, things to eliminate. So like mm-hmm. Netflix until two a.m. smoking a bowl of reefer six days a week. It's not helping your brain last all the way up until 100 years old, right? It's also probably got these downstream effects. I'm not saying to get rid of that cold turkey. We know cold turkey doesn't work, right? But let's start to work these other systems in and let's start to measure the change. So you're going to notice that there is agitation or a snap back to those old behaviors, right? So the same way that it's hard to get rid of uh, cigarettes, for example, if you go cold turkey, chances of failure are like 85%. But if you're having 12 cigarettes a day, hey, all this week, you only get 11. That's it. Next week, all you get is 10. The chance of success in that, because we're making gradual changes, are extraordinarily high. And then people say, but I don't feel different. You don't feel different, but your numbers, you're sleeping better. You're operating at a higher level of capacity. Your nervous system's less reactive. And then it's my job to help facilitate behavioral changes and then reflect so they notice the changes right? So say like, great, give me an interpretation of what's going on. So if I can bridge behavior with self-awareness, gold, you're good. You're good. Nothing's going to fuck with you because you're so self-aware at that point that you can start to calibrate in what is and is not working. So like I have the worst business model, I think on the planet, because like, I don't want repeat customers. I want you to train and learn with me so good that at the end of that, you're like, listen, like Dr. Chris, you said this, but this article that I just read, I'm like, hey, girl, like, shit, that's amazing. Like, yeah, way yeah. to fucking, like, represent. And they, like, empower themselves to feel healthier and happier. And they can see the changes before yeah. they feel it. And I think that's where most people fail. Go ahead. In, in your experience, how long 
how long does that would that typically take like for somebody who's maybe at the beginning of that journey um and you mentioned like they don't necessarily feel it right away but the numbers yeah. are, are reflecting their nervous system they're sleeping they're uh, all the things uh, that i can't speak educated <laughs> in an educated way on um, but um the how long do you, does that usually typically take to bridge that gap of to start actually feeling like you've made progress yeah. So let's, let's just talk about it. Like it's, it's the real things that are going on. So let's talk about anxiety. Let's talk about depression. Let's talk about burnout, right? You can start to notice these changes if we start to do the right behaviors. So let's take somebody, uh, for example, that has anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. and we can do an example for depression too. Anxiety, um, is somebody that's overstimulated. So the nervous system is not just in this psychological flinch. They're also deteriorating their own behaviors because it's self-preservation at that point. So when somebody is in that overactive sympathetic nervous system, one of the four buckets of regulation is taking the hit for them. So are you being triggered into that socially? Do you have an abusive boyfriend? Are you perceiving abuse in your relationship? Are you doing that emotionally? Do you have like really challenging like trauma in your past that's constantly creating this fight or flight mechanism in your body and you've been stuck in that? We unpack mm-hmm. that. Or are you doing it mentally with the way that you operate and organize 70,000 thoughts, which really breaks down into mental models and like, you know, really diving deeper into how's your day scheduled and what are the sure. predictable versus unpredictable things. And then the easiest, most challenging one, this is always a fun conversation, is what are you doing with sleep diet exercise? Because that has to be the bedrock. That has to be the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, we know people that have diabetes have a higher affinity uh, for anxiety, depression, burnout because the way that their mitochondria are functioning, and there's plenty of research out there showing mitochondria, powerhouse of the cell, if you're not making good energy, um, it's influencing your threshold for stress. So every day you wake up and you have a different capacity for stress. It's called your stress sensitivity score. And you can measure this with HRV. And for anybody that's like, what kind, how do I do this at home? I use an Aura Ring, O-U-R-A, or Apple Health, or you can use a device called an Elite HRV, they are self-explanatory. They're great devices. Um, they're you know affordable. You can start to measure these things at home. But your stress sensitivity test is the amount of stimulus that you can take before it turns into stress, right? Okay. So you can handle a certain amount of stimulus every single day before it tips over into stress. I want to know where that number is, and I want that number to go up so I can handle a ton of bullshit uh-huh. mentally, physically, emotionally, socially before I become reactive, when you That's say stimulus, it... do you mean accumulative of a lot of different things? Yeah. So it's all these different okay. factors that we've been talking about. So your stress sensitivity score is based upon how well did you sleep? How well did you eat? How well did you do these things? And then every time uh, you do social conversations, it's a stimulus, right? Got some it. of those are more emotionally charged, which have like a 2X factor. Um, and some of the thoughts that are running through your head have way more weight than something that's like positive inhalation. Like if you go like through a field of tulips like i'm on vacation right now so like my stress index very low right so like i could take a ton of bullshit because like there's nothing externally that's going to like threaten me versus you go into your nine to five job with a narcissistic boss every time you step in there it's way more stimulus than somebody that has a job with a boss that's awesome so yeah, all true. of these things are more stimulus. It's what you eat. It's what you think. It's what you feel. I get um, it. Okay. And this is why we start to compound those things. And this is why I love data so much. It's because you can really look at it and say like, oh, what did you do yesterday? Like your heart rate yesterday was like 120 for like two hours. Like 
were you running from a bear or like were you in a right. business meeting? Right. Right. And this yeah. has happened before when I like train executives, like, no, I was, I was in a business meeting and like, it was only 15 minutes. And I was like, was it at three 30 yesterday? And they'll go like, yeah. And I was like, you stayed reactive for two and a half hours. Right. Oh. So now we can start to go do work. And I was like, we have found a trigger. What's the person? What's the place? What's the location? What was mm-hmm. uncertain? What's unpredictable about that? That's making your nervous system reactive. At that point, I can facilitate as a coach a better way that they can create predictive models so uh-huh. they can step into that space empowered. So instead of being in that flinch where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen, they can kind of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to step into that. And they create that understanding of what they can anticipate. And then we start to work on, you know, all the psychological things of like surrender and let go and all the things yeah, that yeah. Um, we try to do, but that's like at the top of the pyramid, right? Got to work on the bottom before we go to the top. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I hadn't really thought of it like that. <laughs> Until then. Yeah. But, this is why but, I love this work so much. Yeah, no. So another thing that um, that you've met, I've heard you mention quite a lot in a lot of the content that you put out um, that resonates with me is you talk about mood following action, um, which yeah. I love because uh, I definitely notice that within myself. You know, when I'm having a bad day um, or just not feeling great, feeling low for whatever reason, and you, I, and and I've noticed this. What's funny is that I've actually noticed this about. Um, myself before I had even heard you say it, but you just articulated it uh, in a way better way than I could. And when you said it, it was like, oh, wait, so I'm not just imagining that. That's actually a real thing. You talk about taking yeah. the trash out. <laughs> like when, when like, sure. just take, do something, do, do one small minor task that feels productive. Um, and hopefully that can be that first step of building to getting you out of that little funk for the day or the moment or whatever. Um, and it really does work. Um, and it's it's kind of fascinating that such a small thing could can shift shift your your yeah. whole energy like that. Yeah. So like when you try to chase happiness, like people are like, oh, positive vibes only, and like just all of that toxic bullshit drives yeah. me up the wall. This is why I wake up in the morning. I'm like, science. Um, so right. like, new follows action is is the motto, right? Like get it tattooed on your forehead um, because we like always say that you got to feel it to heal it type of thing in like, you know, personal growth and healing and stuff like that. Or like be present with the moment. Throw that out the fucking door for a second, right? Like yeah. let, let, let me bring some science in here for a moment. So inside of your brain, the goal that we want is frontal cortex turned on. This is where you're less reactive. It's executive function essentially. So it's giving okay. you control of what you're perceiving. I'm having a fucking great time with you, sir. Cause I'm not stressed out. I'm chilling. We're having that. My frontal cortex is turned on because we're doing this. If I was having this conversation with like my like uh, lawyer or something like that, I would be like, I wouldn't remember a lot of it. Right. And I'd lose all this type of function because my frontal cortex is offline. My amygdala, which is my fight, flight, freeze response is seven times faster than my frontal cortex. So that thing is really fast because like oh, wow. we're not primed to like be in cozy homes. We were sure. evolved in the Sahara where shit ain't easy. These streets are hard, right? So like it's survival of the fastest thinker. Who's the most reactive lives the longest. And we pass that down epigenetically, generationally quick, right? So this is why we can model behaviors. So like this is why parents, if you don't do the work and your kids start acting out, you're like, they're just doing what you're doing. They're exactly doing that. 
because sometimes genetics are not fast enough to get passed down the line. So we have mirror neurons. We shove it down the line. So mood follows action. There's a portion of your brain. We always talk about dopamine um, and how do we use dopamine to our greatest advantage. Portion of the brain called the nucleus accumbens has the highest affinity for dopamine, which creates that motivation, pleasure, reward pathway. We want that turned on so that we can feel differently and feel that intrinsic motivation. Yeah. And what was really fascinating with these studies that are starting to come out is we used to think that we like do this intrinsic reward or it's emotionally connected. Nope. This thing is directly yoked, very fast pathway to the motor cortex. So like if you're feeling like down and in the dumps, 10 push-ups, 20 push-ups, take the trash out, do those types mm-hmm. of things, change the stimulus, get the reward. Go for a the walk, really something, big thing. go outside. It's your best friend. It is your absolute best friend. And the reason for that is you move yourself into that action. But what you need to do, and this is where most people I think get this wrong, is there has to be a level of self-awareness mm-hmm. to turn that frontal cortex back on as well. So when you take the trash out, you go, even if it sounds really dumb in your head, I did it. And that type of intrinsic reward feeds that system forward because you now you've labeled it. Almost yeah. celebrate yourself for taking action. That's exactly what it is. So you have so much stimulus throughout the entire day. If I open a book and I highlight a line in there, that's what you look at, right? Mm-hmm. So when you self-reward and you self-celebrate, you highlight that and that becomes louder than the noise. So you can hear the song through that. So when you have reflection practices or your day is calibrating, um, the way your brain is interpreting what is happening in this moment is it takes past stimulus, compares it, and then predicts a future, which creates a state of presence or creates a state of anxiety, depression, burnout, fawning response, all that shit. So if you can make a larger collection bank in the past of happy, healthy, self-celebration, intrinsic rewards... That's what you're going to reflect on. That's the data bank that your brain is going to start to use to anticipate what the future is going to hold for you. Oh, okay. So does that tie into manifestation? Oh, it absolutely, yeah. So like I got beef with the manifestation world, beef. Okay, so let's talk about that. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, a lot of people uh, are uh, are familiar with the... Um, with the law of attraction and manifesting and uh, positive affirmations and all of these things that we hear have been hearing about that are supposed to be positive strategies to work and to help build a better life. And coming from the, the philosophy and the mindset that you do create your own reality, help me understand um, how somebody who really tries to be very positive and tries to see the good and everything can somehow still have a really, really challenging life right in front of them. <laughs> Ask, asking for a friend part, like whatever, yeah. 300 of this episode. Right. Um, I tried not to make that too personable, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I know a guy that knows a guy that just, yeah, asked me to ask you about this thing. Just, just wondering, just, you know, minor, minor thoughts. Just uh, curious. You know, yeah. I was on uh, double no. jeopardy last night. So <laughs> the, the meaning of life. Talk. Go. No. <laughs> <laughs> Brown too. Um, so I think the universe is electromagnetic, right? So I, I think that if we really start to dive deeper into the way that like things truly operate, that there's like two parts, right? Um, there's electric parts, then there's magnetic parts and the interaction between those two things is what builds our reality. And then, you know, there is our brain, uh, that interprets that reality, but 
if you break down, you know, um, you know, particle physics and we start to look at the space inside of um, atoms, it's 99.9% nothingness. You know, there's there's so much energy that's occupying that space, only like less than 1% is actually matter. And we see that collectively through all materials throughout the universe. So if we have a little bit of like that base understanding, that base belief system, then we can start to say, well, okay, I want to be able to alter that reality. I want to change the way that things actually are. And the conversation that I usually bring up at this point, because I'm like, you know, it doesn't have to do with, you know, being creative and embodying what it is that you want. It's about getting the bear out of the visualization process that you're doing, right? Like if you send out the signal mentally that I am abundant, this is like my beef that I have with affirmations. You send out the signal that like, I'm abundant. I am love. Like I have these things and you're talking like in the present tense, but like internally you have like shame or you're like really stressed. I think our thoughts are creative and our feelings are magnetic. So you'll keep creating the possibility for that thing, right? And you might even have like that like twinge of like, oh yeah, I believe that. But if your nervous system's running on overdrive, like you're being chased by that bear, physical, mental, emotional stress, you can create it all day, but you'll never manifest it or like bring it into your experience. Create the thought of it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. So like this is this is something it's like one of those mind fucks right so everything that you have ever wanted in your entire life is in front of you you've already seen it you've already recognized it every opportunity you're simply blind to it because you haven't been able to emotionally visualize that thing like you haven't been able to step into that thing yet so like uh when you see that girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. Like the people that are together, boyfriend, girlfriend, 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 like, you know, that relationship. And you're like, they like, how? Like, they're just meant to be together. Right. And you right. find out that they had been like co-workers for like 20 years or something like that. And they find themselves and it's just matched so well. Mm-hmm. They finally open themselves up to like witnessing clearly, unstressed, unshamed, what they actually desired and then go, oh, there it is. And they mm-hmm. can like finally bring that thing into their life. And I hear stories of that like every single day when people do like stress management work. So is if saying is saying, you know, think positive, you can have whatever you want, visualize it. Is it accurate then to say that that's only half the work? Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, Somehow, somewhere along the line, somewhere the rest of that message wasn't completely delivered on time. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of the things that like is my just package amazing. is still lost. The routing number, yeah, everything. I'm, like, I'm, I'm still like I'm still looking. <laughs> Where'd it go? It's just like I have no idea. Like I said, Meanwhile, that I was it's literally right in front of you. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. It's like going to a five star like steakhouse, and like there's like McDonald's inside. It's like wait, mm, not not. Yeah. Well, nope, wasn't there. <laughs> so what is the best way then what or what do you i mean i i know everybody um everybody's different and, and everybody has unique challenges but if if there was something you could say um to help with that to help with that additional step you know visualizing yeah. it um visualizing it is step one believing you yeah. can do it you know it's part of that but then if i'm understanding you accurately you also have to convince your emotions that you already have it in order mm-hmm. to vibrationally bring it in. What are yeah. some techniques uh, that you recommend to help shift that or to help 
believe that, to actually feel that for people who are, yeah. are kind of in that like blocked position. Yeah, asking so, for a friend. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, ask, Again, of course. Still, first, yeah, still, yeah, yeah. The whole, whole interview. This whole thing. <laughs> whole um, thing's off the record, just so we know. <laughs> yeah, so you have it just crushed. That is like, uh, that first step is just like, okay, what is it that I actually want? And getting clarity for some people is like pretty challenging. But like calling that into like the emotional field, like this is where like I get stories like, like this is not like my ballpark, right? Like I have my own beliefs that I shared with you, but like this isn't my space. But I get these messages all the time because people finally get you know that fear and that like uh disconnection and all these other things finally into their life sure. and when they have that going on suddenly it's like oh okay now that that's gone it comes in so quickly it seems like life is so fluid it seems like it's so easy it seems like it's all of these different things mm-hmm. and for myself like this is like the four stress mechanisms that we have so like physical mental emotional and social and they all pour in they all feed into one another so like when we talk about our emotions it's really really important but if we talk about emotions and like motivation and like driving success and all of these other things like you have to be able to talk about sleep diet and exercise too yeah. So if you have like a diet that's lacking in like tryptophan, you're not going to be able to like make as much dopamine. Um, we can't talk about feelings without talking about the rest of these things as well. Because if mm-hmm. we just talk about feelings, um, it's such a compartment, right? And life is not lived inside of that compartment. Life doesn't happen in a vacuum. So mm-hmm. we let them all go into one another. So like, you know, sleep diet exercise for the way that our emotional self is being is looking out. All right, let's look at like neuroendocrinology and how like those things are formed and diving into all that is where it really gets fun. Yeah. Well, okay. So <clears throat> I want to ask you about diet and nutrition, but before I go there, um, do you mind if we just uh, back up a, a little bit? Because I'm yeah. curious, just your personal opinion now about you know where where all the you know we did just talk about manifestation. Where do do you mind like to share your personal beliefs as far as you know spirituality meeting this scientific work that you do? Like where do the, where do the two worlds intersect? Yeah, it's it's such a good question. Um, like I I have faith that something outside of me is benevolent and mm-hmm. is like looking to expand and understand. Um, I have studied a lot of different religions, the ones mm-hmm. that have like called out to me, but I'm not like the religious person. But me, I think me neither. I, and yeah, it's yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So I think faith is tremendously important. Um, And we can see that when people like look at like happiness indications that if they have some type of like external spirituality or some type of practice, those people tend to be happier um, in the long term. And then are their numbers higher and their everything, everything that you scores are. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really, really fascinating. But my belief for a lot of this is that there is something like larger than myself out there. And if you choose to believe it, great. And if you don't, Great. That's why it's right. like, you know, my belief systems inside yeah. of that. Cool. No, I was just curious again. And thank you for answering. Yeah. I did, didn't mean to get too personal, but um, it was a little fascinating to me because I, I think certainly identify in a similar way to what you just described. You know, I, I grew up very in a very religious household and a very like right wing Republican Pentecostal evangelical household. And there was a lot of belief systems that it took, at least for me, it took many years to kind of mentally undo yeah. <laughs> um, uh, when I was, you know, a, a young adult. Um, and then, and then when I found this uh, this world of, you know, just trying to figure out where I fit in in my belief system, it's always fascinating to me where science 
uh, intersects with that because I believe there's a great deal of of value, in, obviously, in that. The numbers don't lie, right? <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? and like your belief systems like are driving. But they affect, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it, it affects your physiology. So like there's like, you know, fields of subject that used to be like psycho-cybernetics and things like that. But now we can see um, the way that your somatic system is impacted by your psychology. And your psychology is, you know, a protective feed forward social rec- recognition for your neurology, right? So like you can't separate all of these things out. Like I think it's important. This is like how the brain wants to like learn things. It wants to put them into compartments, but then we want to live in those compartments. But uh-huh. it's, that's not how that exactly works. So if you want to understand something, you know, dive deeper into that and it's singular source. But when it comes back to life, always ask like, how does this change? Like the way that I want to live. Mm-hmm. That's at least how I operate. Nice. Okay. Let's talk about nutrition, exercise, all of yeah. those other things that you mentioned prior. A lot of times even our mood is affected by what we're, what we're consuming. Um, Massively. Could you just explain that to, to us a little bit uh, deeper? Yeah, 100%. So we have a large branch of our central nervous system that talks directly with the gut. And the gut talks to the brain more than the brain talks to the gut. So, Interesting. Which is interesting, 80 to 20%. She's just so, kind of like, you know, plays hard to get. She's like, I'm not talking That's to you what anymore. it is. She's <laughs> just, got, just got a little bit like, just hey, hanging gotta, out up there. <laughs> got to work a little harder, you know? Like, it's, you know, it's, it's that queen status, right? Like, we okay, don't, we don't talk to peasant boys. Right. Yeah, that's exactly... <laughs> so like, go this, take the elevator down to the basement I, often no. no no honey no this this just isn't gonna work so this large See, you nerve can that's have like conversations about mental health that are funny no. Fuck yeah you absolutely should these are the only ones that i think we should have as far right. as i'm concerned right like these like really in-depth ones like you know yeah. let's talk about you know suicide i'm like right. oh, can we like make jokes about it or is it too right. soon for some of that like right right yeah fun space um Brain body connection. So there's an <laughs> access called the HPT, and there's a bunch of different accesses that run through that. But essentially, the pituitary hypothalamic pathway um, is the way that your brain talks to your body. And that pathway is very interesting because it has an 80 20 correlation of like where information's being sent. So only okay. 20% of information is from the brain to the gut and the body. And then the rest of it is 80% up. So the body is telling the brain how to feel. This is why mood follows action is so important is if you want to feel differently, you want to think differently, you want to change the way that we're coordinating, you need to get your body moving. But that 20% is also tremendously important because if it's constantly sending stress signals, you wire those pathways faster as well. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, you know, what do you say to people who are maybe having trouble in, in that space where they're, you yeah. know, because yes, mood follows action. But if you're feeling low and you're feeling depressed and you're feeling unmotivated and you're, you're kind of stuck in that cycle, um, you know, how, how do you get motivated? How do you, how do you pull yourself out? This is the thing. This is what's really challenging. Like getting motivated. Like I said, one of those other questions that I get all the time. Like I just can't seem to get myself motivated. We all want you to fix all our problems for us, Chris. Please just do it in 60 minutes or less. <laughs> yeah. Like, so this is where these buckets start to flow into one another. So there's a lot of really great research out there showing that if your microbiome isn't very diverse, mm-hmm. you won't start to bring in something called tyrosine. So tryptophan works downstream with serotonin, but tyrosine works with dopamine. Okay. Dopamine controls your attachment. It controls your motivation. 
right? So like all of these things have to go into one another. So like, this is why I have the compartments that I teach in. So this is why we talk about physical, mental, emotional, social, because they all pour in. And I think if you don't have your health, it's really hard to stack those things up. So I work Mm. with my clients first from usually a month on sleep diet exercise and just getting as simple as we possibly can and then holding them accountable to the standards that they want to live. Because that's that's the the best place to start, obviously, with with your physical health. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, there's also other compartments out there where like, if you know that your relationship is on fire, don't work on like your, you know, working on like that diet and stuff. Like there's currently a fire that we a bigger fire to put out. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. What happens in your experience when there's somebody who who, uh, maybe has those elements that you described, physical, mental, emotional, and social, what is it possible for uh, a person to, be thriving in three out of those four and just struggling with one or does one or is it all a mess if it's all a mess? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, some of us have, they're, they're not the same size buckets. They're not the same size cups. Right. So for myself, I have a very large, like physical regulation bucket. So like my sleep diet exercise is like really clean Mm -hmm. and my mental bucket due to like all of my education has been really trained. So both of those buckets are really big for me. But a couple of years ago, my emotional bucket was really small. Mm. I was not emotionally intelligent. I wasn't emotionally aware. My social bucket wasn't really great either. So I was compensating with physical buckets and my mental organization. So one compensates for the other, but they're not fixed either. You Mm. can change all of these things. So if you recognize that you have weakness in one, you could start to build it up. Right. So if your physical bucket, you notice like, oh, I'm not as healthy as I probably could be. It'll be a crutch. Right. So the moment that you reach threshold on that, now you're creating damage and taking away from like the balance in other areas. So if you're physically just really unfit, you have a higher capacity to have depression and anxiety and all these other different things. And those will start to steal away from your emotional bucket. So your emotional bucket is now going to be filled with shame, anger, frustration. Which and then dra- draws you feeling out. even lower, lower, yep. lower, lower. That taps you out. So you go and tap into your social. And this is why you start disconnecting with friends. Like, oh, yes. I don't feel like going out. And then it starts to leach into your brain and they flood into one another, right? So one steals from the other, dries it up. And then it works the other way too. These buckets are also float, selfish. They're sons of bitches. I tell <laughs> you all what. all selfish I mean, buckets. Narcissistic They're going to take it they're wherever they can take, get take, it. Take, 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 Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. They're sluts. Slut regulation buckets. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the way your nervous system. That's the way. That's how. That's how you find happiness is better control your slot pockets. I'm so glad that we're having such an elevated conversation today. <laughs> Me too. I, this is this is what I like to do. I on love my, it. I yeah, love it. I'm about it. <laughs> no, but I'm going to remember this now. Like all like I'm going to think of it like that. I love it. So let's talk about um on the same topic because uh, you and I have both talked offline and we both have personally suffered from insomnia at different point, parts in our life. So talk to me a little bit about um, sleep deprivation and how that can affect all of these things, can affect anxiety, depression, burnout, social, everything. Everything, yeah. So your body only rests and deeply recovers during sleep. So this is when your body like goes through and takes care of like replenishing energy stores for tomorrow, cleans out all the damage that we did today. Um, and you want that process just optimized because your performance, physical, mental, emotional is completely reliant on that rest and recovery protocol, 
right? So when people don't get that good quality sleep completely correlates with their ability to actually like treat depression and anxiety. Mm. It messes with your skin. It messes with your hair. You know, it messes with all these different things because the body starts to go and like, all right, what's like really on fire when you sleep. So it handles that, right? So if you have an inflammatory problem, it'll start to calm that inflammatory problem down. Or let's just say like you're riding your bike and you scraped your knee. Now Mm -hmm. the body's going to use a lot of energy and focus to like really start to heal that knee while you're sleeping, but it can't do everything all at one time. Yeah. Right. So you want to do less damage during the day, but also optimize recovery at night. And what that really looks like is like, okay, so we know aerobic exercise is tremendously, tremendously important. I love to walk. I'm a walker and I go to the gym three times per week and that's it for me. Um, It keeps it really simple. So I'm not doing like crazy amounts of damage and things like that, but I'm also doing stretching. I'm also doing mobilization work, like the walks, all those things like come into one another. So when I actually get to sleep, my body's not like having to completely like rebuild. I want to like work on my brain and my Uh genes and things like that so that I can like, you know, live longer and be happier. Now, when is... When do we cross over to the other side and say, and when is too much sleep? When is too much? What is too much? Yeah, I think this is a huge problem too. So this is one of the things like, you know, I think 10 to 12 hours of sleep or like nine hours sleep, like for some people, like that's just way too much. And Mm -hmm. we see that that's a problem too. So like, if you don't get enough sleep the next day, you're operating as if you have gone the entire day and consumed like one alcoholic beverage, right? So like you have that level of intoxication. I think a lot of people know that. But on the other hand, if you like over uh, power with sleep, mm-hmm. you start to become parasympathetic dominant, right? So it's really hard to get aroused. Like you stay groggy all day mm-hmm. when really like we need that balance of your sympathetic nervous system, which is your stress response. You want that, right? You need that working. I don't want it in overdrive. But if mm-hmm. your parasympathetic is overloaded too, it now becomes like this comp compensatory um thing where okay i need to get up and i need to go do those things but now i just use sleep now i just use sleep now i just use sleep why does it why does it having that much sleep make you feel groggy all day or make you feel less motivated or why does it how does it keep you in that space yeah so it really confuses the central nervous system because those light cycles really tell us what time of day it is so like right now it's cloudy outside but it's blue skies like my body has that internal clock that's your that wants to go lay down <laughs> yeah yeah and if i don't get it up with the sun and i stay up all night it confuses that system but that system is like almost remember that 20 percent we were talking about in the brain yeah yes. that like controls your body and health that is what's running all of your hormones so I circadian see. biology tells you when to drop hormones. So this is why people that get too much sleep or not enough sleep, like they're not in that like healthy zone. They tend to like retain a lot of weight, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that that feeds forward into these other systems too. So that circadian biology, um, there's so much research coming into neuroscience and neurology showing that you need to set that circadian biology to get optimized sleep. And you set it very easily by in the morning time going outside for two to five minutes. And at nighttime, two to five minutes, go back outside. You'll start to notice how tired you really are. And then, you know, eliminating artificial light at night and just having it dim is another Mm -hmm. really important one. Like I have red LEDs around my house too, and those don't impact your circadian biology. So if you still want some lights, get some nice LED lights and turn them on red. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting because, yeah, I've I've suffered from both personally. I'm kind of like an all or nothing kind of girl, like kind of like Cher said, you know, <laughs> like I'm yeah. either not yeah. sleeping oh, yeah. at all or I'm sleeping too much. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
I got to find there. balance. So I'm working on yes. it. Because <laughs> that's basically what we're, the underlying um, point of almost everything you're saying is balance. <laughs> I think balance. Yeah, you got to find that balance point so that you can get imbalanced in the ways yeah. that you want to, right? So like you want to have balance so that when like stress comes up, you can like take the damage instead of it just like completely like derailing your life. Yeah. And at the same time, like, you also need to eat chocolate cake and go drink champagne on New Year's Eve. Like that's why you want those things to be available to you. So you can still enjoy like the parts of life. Like I don't want you to eat kale and like sardines every day just because I want, (laughs) like I want to live to a hundred. You're going to live to a hundred, but you're going to be miserable. Listen, I don't want to live to a hundred if I feel like this all every day. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, fuck that. Like I don't want that at all. I want to go, you know, drink a beer when I'm in like the pool and stuff like that. So take care of my body that way. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about uh, perfectionism. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a really valuable uh, thing to, to talk about because uh, from personal experience, yeah, I, I sometimes drive myself crazy over like small details and, and perfectionism. And, and I think, of course, there's value to, to giving that much care into something that you're doing. But there, it's a fine line, I'm sure, you know, because I tend to either exhaust myself, drive myself crazy, obsess over something, that somehow turns into feeling low, less confident, beating myself up, shaming myself, angry, and I can't believe I'm admitting all this. But yes, <laughs> I, like sometimes I, I literally something about you just makes me want to tell the truth. But <laughs> I, I have that effect. You have that effect. I um no, I just uh yes, I feel all those things, and then and then it's this evil, evil cycle because then I get mad at myself for feeling yep. that way. <laughs> right? Yep. Um, and then I realize still not perfect so we're back to square one now <laughs> there it is and yeah we have returned to base captain <laughs> we haven't gotten anywhere <laughs> yeah so perfectionism is a really fun conversation um because you can make it as complicated or as simple as you want so okay. we're going to make this as simple as we want so we can okay. have a discussion <laughs> okay. we build perfectionistic personality to get love attention and focus for being rewarded for the things that we do okay. and we originally got that from our parents so when we don't get no, all I'm of kidding. the love and attention, yeah, right. Of course, <laughs> when we don't get the love and attention that we really want as children, we start to like good scientists look at when we do get love and attention and focus. And for a lot of us, that was when we got things accomplished, right? So you get right. all A's on your report and you get that card. Attention, you go get love. ice cream, yeah. right? And yeah, parents are so proud of you and all of this stuff. So now your system goes okay. I understand this game now. Like, let's I, keep winning. Rules to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep winning. Let's keep yeah. winning. And then adult life starts to come around and we still need that love, attention and focus. So we just drive and we drive and we drive. And then when we don't do that, we use our internal emotions to build drive. And that's what shame is, right? Mm-hmm. I feel shame. I feel guilt. Your brain's trying to create more agitation to drive you further into that perfectionist personality. But when you play that game as well, it's just like everything is impossible, right? You're living all of these tendencies, like nobody's perfect. And this Mm -hmm. is where people go into burnout and then they're an emotional burnout on top of like work-life imbalance. And all these things start to feed back in that you're not enough, you're not doing enough. And it just goes on and on and on when really- Mm -hmm. Never ending, yeah. Yeah, people just want you to be you. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we will love you and support you no matter what. You said uh, on uh, you had a post that I really loved um, where we were talking. You were talking about perfectionism, and you said uh, one of the good ways to start remedying that is to celebrate 
effort rather than accomplishment. And I, I thought that was really great. Um, yeah. Do you want to elaborate that a little on that a little bit? Yeah, 100%. So the really hard thing about, you know, healing perfectionism is, is that it's an emotional social problem. So we build that out when the accomplishments came and it's really easy to look and say, oh, this accomplishment occurred here. It's finite. There it is. I did or I didn't. It's very clear cut. And that's what builds these like, you know, perfectionists that will burn themselves out because there's that timeline. Got to get this done. Execute, execute, execute. When really you start to heal this up by loving and rewarding and celebrating when you just try Mm -hmm. like, all right, like today was a hard day. And like, you know, if I just had to door dash the meal and I had to do this and I had to do that, then heck, that's what we did. And I'm still worthy of receiving love. You have to take that intentional time to do that because your nervous system is not going to do that for you. It's not going to go like, yeah, like you did, you did good today, buddy. Like you just like, here, let me give you some of those positive emotions. It's going to go, you are a piece of shit. You should have woke up and ran a marathon. Why did you like not get married today? Like you said you were going to do that. Like, and it's just like, you're just a flaming, you're a turd. Like you suck. I'm only laughing because I I'm, I know this voice. I'm very familiar with her. Yes, I, yeah. I, I call her Brenda. I was gonna say um, everyone everyone names theirs, and I love it. Like, what's <laughs> what's the name of your asshole in your head? What's yours? <laughs> it used to be Patrick, and I think it's Steve now. <laughs> why? Well, do I, you know, I, can you tell why? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I actually no, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. That's say. okay. That's okay. <laughs> I know. I know a Steve. That's just a cunt. And I yeah, that's what it is. Like I, I don't use that word lightly, but this guy, I fucking tell you, she's got to go. No, yeah, he's I mean, gone. He's a see okay, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. Yeah, okay, we all do. We do have a, that. We have named that that girl in our head. That mean girl. Yeah, the mean girl. <laughs> yeah, not a fan, Steve. You know, Katz. I <laughs> fucking Steve. I was <laughs> Patrick's the name of my therapist. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. I don't know. Why I just, I'm probably just going to cut that out, but I just thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah. Made me, made me laugh. <laughs> well, I still got Brenda going strong. Yeah, I bet she's living her best life in there she, too. Set up camp. She wins half the time. It's, so we got to we got to work on killing. At her. least it's fifty fifty. <laughs> That's pretty good. Most people lose that battle, right? So yeah. So actually, on that note, um, <laughs> hold on. I'm still giggling about that. <laughs> All right. What do you what do you recommend or how do you how do you treat patients that um can't seem to find that balance? They can't seem to find um the balance of rewarding themselves on effort as opposed to accomplishments. And when is you know, when is when is that line where you're just either giving yourself permission to be lazy yeah. or or actually celebrating um something worth celebrating? Yeah, it's it's both of those things. So like this is the power of like getting somebody that's like a coach or like mm-hmm. being a part of communities and stuff like that because when we go into session, you are like pretty much I I like I said I'm not a therapist, so I'm like we're going to talk about your small wins this week whether you yeah. fucking want to or not. You're like, <laughs> "Oh no, but I did this thing." I'm like, "How did you love yourself this week?" Like that's right. what I want to know. Like when were the moments that you celebrated your beauty and femininity and masculinity? Like that's what I want to know. They're like, "I didn't hire you for this." And I'm like, "No, but you did." This right. is like healing perfectionism <laughs> at its core is like, yeah. "All right, like how did you reward yourself this week?" So you have these macro events with a therapist, with a coach, with a friend where mm-hmm. you share those insights. And those are massive releases because not only are you self-celebrating, now you've shared it. 
yeah. right, with somebody else. So they have that branch of information. But then also, if you can start to do this on your own, you take that like snapshot and then you just keep imprinting it. So the more that it is, it gains momentum as you go on throughout the day, as you go on throughout life. So look at your day, reflect upon it. Like how can you reward yourself instead of punish for the things that you said you wanted to do, but didn't get the opportunity to actually complete. And try not to focus on the things that you didn't actually compete. Complete. Right. That's like, that's the thing with like people, um, like you, why did you like not get the eggs from the hen milk, milk, the cow run a marathon and like build a fortune 100 company. Like it's 7am. Like, why didn't you do that? And so many of us have that voice of like, I should have got up earlier. I should have like meditated. Listen, you got out of bed today, sweetie. Let's fucking go. Right. Like (laughs) I am proud of you for doing that. And there's some people out there like that, like need that celebration because they've been at a point in their life where they're so depressed that they can't get out of bed or so sad or so this or so that. So like, Hey, if you went up and got vertical today, brushed your teeth, had a piss good for you. Like that's phenomenal. Like celebrate that. Oh, I love that. No. And that's, that's so important to hear because, uh, you know, I've seen it happen firsthand to people I love. I've experienced it at different points in my life where getting out of bed was the biggest challenge. Um, because you just find yourself, you know, it's not something you like to admit, but you do. You find yourself in a place where depre- the depression had just gotten so intense, and it's and and again, and maybe that's the way our brains work. You just you, you're going off of your experience. You're like belief will only take you so far, and so yeah. far, right now, I'm in a place where everything I've ever tried or recently have tried has led to me feeling worse. So why do I want to get up? Right? Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> And it's, but it's we're here to space. say, get up, girl. No. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. Like, yeah, hey, girl, like, get the, get you need up. that bitch in your life. Like, get the <laughs> fuck out of bed, you whore. Right? Like, you've been in here long enough. We got over this phase. Like, get the fuck out of It's over, bitch. Shopping. Yeah. Yeah, right, it's fucking right. over. Yeah, you're done. I so, made the choice for you. Dr. Chris and I will always be there for you guys. If you ever need somebody to yell at you to get out of bed, call one of us. We'll do it. Oh, yeah, we're out. Yeah, we're just gentle. Like, you think, like, I'm going to come in with wind chimes. No. Wood fucking, wood handle spoon and a goddamn pan. And we're we're getting up today. We're going, girl. Let's do it. Yeah, we're getting brunch. Who's going to turn down brunch? Like Nobody should turn down brunch. Get out of bed. We're going brunch. Oh, for fucking sure. Like, do I need clothes? Or is like, can I go without pants on? Like, I'm there. I'm there. (laughs) They're like, can we do it remotely? No. (laughs) Can you imagine nowadays? wish. Can you imagine? Yeah, geez. (laughs) So let's talk about burnout. Um, We've we've talked about anxiety, depression. Yes, we've kind of touched on burnout. Can you just explain uh, to the audience, really? Let's just start the conversation there. Explain burnout uh, to us. Yeah, burnout is, you know, the overexertion of all of those buckets that we've talked about. And eventually those selfish those bu- bitchy buckets. These fucking slut buckets, yeah. <laughs> like, buckets. That's they, what it was, yeah. That's yeah. I want was. you to That's think about was. these buckets like they're holding water, right? And every time like the or. water is self flowered, yeah. <laughs> and they they hold their water and they're living their best life. I can't believe you just snorted on the, I hope you put that in there. I'm gonna know for always. I'm gonna put it on social media. I was on Hey Girl oh, with Billy. Listen, this guy, he was he snorted. I heard him snort on yeah. It happened. It happened. I love I'm it. I'm so sorry because this is actually really important. But so I no, you're fine. Yeah. You're, I do, do this all day. Um, so you have these because four I'm buckets. I'm going to think of that now and I'm going to think of like, like, you know, glittery, whorish water. I don't know, in my bucket. You should. Yeah, absolutely should. I don't know if there is other water than this whorish water in our whorish buckets. <laughs> right. Okay, good. 
So these buckets hold water. And every time we exert energy or we have to put effort into it, we turn the burner up a little bit more and then we turn it down and then we turn it up. But if you're not resting and you're not recovering, you don't get to replenish those stores at night. So you do more and more. And eventually, just like if you exert more calories than you ingest, you have to take those calories from somewhere. So you start to steal from these other buckets. Mm. And eventually, none of the buckets have anything. And this is where you're exhausted. You're reactive. Your relationships suck. You're using coping mechanisms. Everything else starts to fall off at that point. What type of coping mechanisms do you tend to run into mostly with in your experience? Uh, Right now, it's people drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, It's people smoking marijuana a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, Porn has been like a really big one. Okay. Um, Yeah, more, more of the classics in that way. The cl- those are the classics. The, the classics, yeah. <laughs> and then pull, imagine pull doing a- all three at once. No, I'm kidding. There you go. Yeah, let's fucking get lit. Probably. To be honest, yeah, everybody's like, ah, having a bad Friday night. I know. Trust me. I got you. <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. I'm, I'm here for it. It was good. No, I know. But I, just, I hope that I'm not making too... I'm having a great time. And I, I think you are too. But I just hope I'm not making too many jokes during what what's... <laughs> hopefully helping other people while they're listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're fine. I think I'm they sure. could tell it's lighthearted, but serious, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If not, so, you need to fuck off. Yeah, just stop listening. Get out of here. Yeah, no. <laughs> must be Steve. I make sure I, fucking Steve and Brenda. Steve and Brenda, these fucking whores. The worst fucking couple ever. <laughs> oh my God, can you imagine? Together. <laughs> um, so what are the, in your experience with your clients and the people that you've worked with and even maybe personally yourself, when it comes to burnout, what are like some of the biggest, um, uh, I don't know, I guess I should say side, side effects or downfalls? Like what are the biggest things that tend to kind of fall apart when you're personally burned out? Yeah, like it's everything is the thing. Like so <laughs> for, for myself, like I start to like lose track of like my diet. So I'm like, okay, I don't have the energy to like make dinner. So like they'll just door dash and then I'll like, yeah. okay, I'll door dash again. And, like that starts to happen. Like my closeness with my daughter, my relationship with her, like I'm more frustrated and I'm like, you know, I don't want to play with her as much. Like everything that has color like turns to gray. And you just like lose that passion, like, and then, oh, depression starts to seep in because I don't want to exert too much energy. And then you stop connecting with your friends and it just goes and it goes. And it's almost like in the moment a self-preservation thing, but it's really hurting you. Yeah. You're in like survival. Is that what they, people mean when they refer to survival mode? Exactly. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It's all starting to click in my head. (laughs) There it is. There it is. She's here. Finally. No. (laughs) Can you talk to me in the audience about, um, your community, your Wired for Worthy community, you have a really great program uh, that people that is open to anybody, right? Yeah. Um, tell us about that and how people can um, be a part of that. Yeah. So all of these concepts that we talk about, I'm sure as everybody like realizes like, oh, there's a lot of depth here. Like it takes like time to like talk about these things and discuss. And at the same time, we talked about the power of having community and people that just like get it that are on that same page. That's what I wanted in my healing journey more than anything. Um, but the only things that I would find out there are like, you know, these masterminds and all these other groups that are like $20,000 to join or just like those types of things where like, I want to surround myself with those people, but like, what the heck? And like, you know, for my niche and stuff like that, like I want people that are like scientific self-worth, like where's that? And it wasn't there. So we built it. 
Um, So we run this community and we meet on Thursday for workshop and sharing. And we meet on Friday for social and book club. And it's got, you know, almost 300 hours of content inside of it. Um, We have our own telegram chat. We run our own challenges. um, And the people in those communities, like, they have made so much progress because they have access to the accountability. They have access to share in a group that won't judge them. They'll just support them. Um, so we built it out of necessity. And then once COVID hit, it just, it grew. So it continues to grow, but it still has that level of like intimacy, intimacy to it where it's like, there's not like 700 people. Like there's like 30, sometimes maybe 40 people in the group. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's 10 and we hang out and we just talk about life and share tips and self-regulation tactics. Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, I, I'm definitely um, going to be one of your new members. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I fucking forward love to, to have you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because it is. It, it's something, it's so important. Obviously, you know, social relationships are important, especially, yeah. obviously, we all need supportive ones as well as opposed to draining ones. Um, but, you know, I think for me, you know, I know what it feels like to be on a healing journey or even a journey of transformation or journey of growth, whatever it looks like, and how... <clears throat> lonely it could potentially feel if you're doing a lot of work on yourself or if you're also just in survival mode maybe and you're just getting through the day and so i think you know human connection and and that type of support with like-minded people is is probably at least for someone like me that would actually help break through some of those other barriers we talked about earlier in the episode where we talked about how to get motivated or how to get out of that dark place mentally I am so here for it and I can't wait to join. So yay for that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You're going to crush it inside of there. And like, even, even if it's just like you show up once in a while or like you show and just up say, Hey listen. girl, no, can you One up? pop yeah, in? Like, I'm like, Hey what? girls, <laughs> gotta go. Yeah. That's Oh my God. I fucking lose my shit. <laughs> We're in the middle talking about grief and bill comes in. Just like, just need to say something real quick. Right. Like, hey, But that's like, this is exactly what the group is like, though. Like, we, yeah. we talk about serious things and it can be serious, but like, we're all there to like heal and grow. So you get yeah. to have fun. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't I can't wait. I love it. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I really was had a great time talking to you and you really helped put a lot of things in perspective for me that I, I had questions about. Um, and I know a lot of the audience is going to benefit from the conversation as well. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Like this, like I said, this is a a blast, a delight. (laughs) So just really quick before we go, tell everyone how they can connect with you or stay up to date with uh, everything you're doing. Yeah, I am everywhere at Dr. Chris Lee. (laughs) I'm everywhere. Done. Done. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, I have a website you you can go to. Yeah. Yeah. You find it, right? We got a website, we got the Instagram, we got TikTok, we got YouTube, and I run my own podcast um, called The Healthy Mindfuck. But if you search my name uh, anywhere you're looking for me, I usually pop up at the top. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) That was so much fun. Uh, Be sure to check us out at our website at heygirlpodcast.com. Girl is spelled with a U. And stay up to date with us as well on social media at heygirlpodcast. Thanks. Have a great weekend.